Section 1 of Reminiscences of a Southern Hospital by its Matron. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Reminiscences of a Southern Hospital by its Matron by Phoebe Yates Pember. Soon after the Battle of Manassas, the want of hospitals, properly organized and arranged, began to be felt, and buildings adapted for the purpose were secured by government. Richmond, being nearest the scene of action, took the lead in this matter, and the former hastily contrived accommodations for the sick were soon replaced by larger, more comfortable, and better ventilated buildings. The expense of keeping up small hospitals had forced itself upon the attention of the Surgeon General, who afterwards gradually incorporated them into half a dozen immense establishments situated around the suburbs. These were called Camp Jackson, Camp Winder, Chimborazo Hospital, Stewart Hospital, and Howard Grove, and were arranged so that fourteen or fifteen wards formed a division, and generally five divisions a hospital. Each ward accommodated from thirty to forty patients, according to the immediate need for space. Besides the sick wards, similar buildings were used for official purposes for in these immense establishments every necessary trade was carried on. There were the carpenters, blacksmiths, apothecaries, and shoemakers' shops, the ice-house, commissary, and quartermaster's departments, offices for surgeons, stewards, baggage-masters, and clerks. Each division was furnished with all these, and the whole hospital presented to the eye the appearance of a small village there was no reason why with this preparation for the wounded and sick they should not receive all the benefit of good nursing and food but rumors began to be prevalent that there was something wrong in the hospital administration and soon after congress passed a law by which matrons were appointed they had no official recognition, ranking even below stewards. The pay also was almost nominal, from the depreciated nature of the currency. There had been a great deal of desultory visiting and nursing by the ladies, previous to this law being passed, resulting in more harm than good to the patients. And now that the field was open, a few, very few, ladies and a great many uneducated women, hardly above the laboring classes, applied and filled the offices. The women of the South had been openly and violently rebellious from the moment they thought their state's rights touched. They incited the men to struggle for their liberties, and, whether right or wrong, sustained them nobly to the end. They were the first to rebel, the last to succumb taking an active part in all that came within their sphere and sometimes compelled to step beyond it when the field demanded as many soldiers as could be raised 
feeling the deepest interest in every man in the gray uniform of the confederate service they were doubly anxious to give comfort and assistance to the sick and wounded in the course of a long and harassing war with ports blockaded and harvests burnt rail tracks constantly torn up and supplies of food cut off and sold always at exorbitant prices no appeal was ever made to the women of the south individually or collectively that they did not meet with ready response there was no parade of generosity no long list of donations inspected by public eyes what was contributed was given unostentatiously whether a bag of coffee or half of the only bottle of wine in the giver's possession about this time one of the large hospitals above mentioned was to be opened and the wife of the then acting secretary of war offered me the chief matron's place in one of the divisions rather a startling proposition to a woman brought up in all the comforts of luxurious life foremost among the virginia women mrs r had given all her resources of mind and means to the sick and her graphic and earnest representations of the good an educated and determined woman could effect in such a place settled the matter the common idea that such a life would be injurious to the delicacy and the refinement of a lady that her nature would become deteriorated and her sensibilities blunted was rather appalling but the first step only costs and that was taken very soon a preliminary interview with the surgeon-in-chief restored all necessary confidence for the first day as the last he was the energetic capable manager the careful liberal financier the skillful penetrating physician and the kind courteous gentleman always attentive and thoughtful however harassed with business he had the faculty of having oil always ready for troubled waters difficulties melted away beneath the warmth of his ready interest and mountains became molehills after his quick comprehension had surmounted and leveled them however troublesome daily increasing annoyances became if they could not be removed his few but ready words sent applicants home satisfied to do the best they could wisely he decided to have only ladies at the head of the female departments of his division and having succeeded never forgot that fact the hour after my arrival in richmond found me at headquarters the only two-story building on hospital ground occupied by the chief surgeon and his clerks he had not yet arrived and while waiting in the office many of his corps who had expected in horror the advent of female supervision came and went there was at that time blissful ignorance on all sides except among hospital officials of the decided objection to the carrying out of a law which they prognosticated entailed petticoat government 
but there was no mistaking the stage whisper on the outside of the office that morning as the little uninformed contract surgeon passed out and informed a friend at the door in a tone of ill-repressed disgust that one of them had come to those not acquainted with hospital arrangements some explanations are necessary to each hospital is assigned a surgeon-in-chief to each division of the hospital a surgeon-in-charge to each ward of the division an assistant surgeon but when the press is great contract doctors are also put in charge of wards the surgeon-in-chief of a large hospital can seldom attend to more than the financiering part the proper supply of food and necessary articles and a general supervision of everything under him the surgeon in charge attended in the same way to his division but went through his wards daily consulting with his assistant surgeons and reforming abuses he made his report each day to the surgeon in chief the assistant surgeon had only his ward or wards to attend seeing the sick and wounded twice a day and prescribing for them in case of danger he called the surgeon-in-chief for advice or to share responsibility the contract surgeons performed the same duties as assistant surgeons but were not commissioned officers and received less pay each ward had its corps of nurses unfortunately not practiced or perfect in their duties as they were men convalescing after illness or wounds and placed in that position till strong enough for field duty this arrangement was very hard on all interested and harder on the sick entailing constant supervision and endless teaching but the demand for men in the field was too imperative to allow any of them to be detailed for nursing purposes besides these mentioned the hospital contained an endless horde of steward's clerks surgeon's clerks commissary clerks quartermaster's clerks apothecary's clerks baggage masters forage masters wagon masters cooks bakers carpenters shoemakers ward inspectors ambulance drivers and many now forgotten hangers-on to whom the soldiers gave the name of hospital rats in common with would-be invalids who resisted being cured from a disinclination for field service they were all so called it is to be presumed from the difficulty of getting rid of both species a portion of the non-commissioned officials were men unfit for the field but there were many exceptions among these different elements all belittled by long service away from the ennobling influences of the field and all striving with rare exceptions to gain the little benefits and petty luxuries so scarce in the confederacy i was introduced one day by the surgeon of my division he was a cultivated gentlemanly man kind-hearted when he remembered to be so 
and very much afraid of any responsibility resting on his shoulders no preparations had been made by him for his female department he escorted me into a long low whitewashed building open from end to end called for two chairs and with entire composure as if surrounding circumstances were most favorable commenced a conversation on belle lettre female influence and the first last and only novel published in the confederate states a pretty compliment finished the interview with a promise to see about getting the carpenter to make partitions and shelves for the kitchen the steward was sent for and my small reign began a stove was unearthed very small very rusty and fit only for a family of six there were then about three hundred men upon the diet list which was to be sent daily to the matron's kitchen for food for the patients the very sick ones being supplied from my kitchen and the convalescents from the stewards called in contradistinction to mine the big kitchen at that time my mind could hardly grope through the darkness that clouded it as to my special duties but one spectrum always presented itself and intuitively kept its place chicken soup having heard of requisitions i then and there made my first in a very unofficial style a polite request sent through jim a small black boy to the steward for a pair of chickens they came ready dressed jim picked up some shavings kindled up the stove begged borrowed or stole a large iron pot from the big kitchen for the first time i cut up a raw bird and the rubicon was passed my readers must not suppose that this picture applies generally to hospitals or that means and appliances for food and comfort were at that time so meagre in all such establishments this state of affairs was only the result of accident and some misunderstanding the surgeon naturally thought that i had some experience and would use the power the law of congress gave me to arrange my own department and i in reading the bill passed for the introduction of matrons into hospitals could only understand that the position was one which dovetailed the offices of housekeeper and cook nothing more in the meantime the soup was boiling and was undeniably a success from the perfume it exhaled nature may not have intended me for a florence nightingale but a kitchen proved my worth frying pans griddles stew pans and coffee pots became my household gods the niches had been prepared years previously invisible to the naked eye but still there gaining courage from familiarity with my position a venture across the street brought me to a ward they were all separate buildings it must be remembered with long low cabin windows that pushed back upon the wall and under the first i peeped in extended on a bed lay the shadow of a man pale wan and attenuated 
what woman's heart would not melt and make its home where so much needed his wants were inquired into and like almost all the commoner class of men who think unless they have been living upon hog and hominy they are starved he complained of not having eaten anything for three mortal weeks in the present state of my kitchen larder there certainly was not much of a choice and i was yet ignorant of the capabilities of the steward's department however soup was suggested as a great soother of misery in his back and a large supply of adjectives added for flavor nice hot strong good chicken soup the suggestion was concurred in if it was very good he would take some though he was never much of a hand for drinks my mind rejected the application of words but matter not mind was the subject under discussion all a cook's experience revolted against soup without the sick man's parsley and jim my acting partner volunteered to get some at the dutchman's and at last armed with a bowl full of the composition duly salted peppered and seasoned i sought my first patient he rose deliberately so deliberately that i felt sensible of the great favor he was conferring he smoothed his tangled locks with a weak hand took a piece of well-masticated tobacco from between three or four solitary teeth but still the bowl was unappropriated and it was evident that some other preliminaries were to be arranged the novelty of my position and a lively imagination suggested fears that he might probably think it necessary to arise for compliment's sake and hospital clothing being made to suit the scarcity and expense of homespun the idea was startling but suspense did not continue long it was only a brown covered tract he needed did he intend to read a grace before meat no he simply wanted a pocket handkerchief which cruel war had rendered almost a luxury so without comment a leaf was abstracted from those left and applied to the nose the result was satisfactory for the next second the first spoonful of soup was transferred to his mouth it was an awful moment my fate seemed to hang upon the fiat of that uneducated palate a long painful gulp a judgmental shake of the head not in the affirmative and the bowl slowly traveled back to my extended hand my mammy's soup was not like that he whined but i might worry a little down if it was not for them weeds in it well why feel aggrieved there may not be any actual difference between weeds and herbs after that first day improvements rapidly progressed better stores were put up closets enclosed china or its substitutes tin and pottery supplied the coffee tea milk and all the delicacies provided for the sick wards 
turned over to the matron's department. Also a co-laborer with Jim, whose disposition proved to be like our old horse, who pulled steadily and well in single harness, but when tried in double, left all the work to the last comer. However, honor to whom honor is due, he gave me many hints which my higher intelligence had overlooked, comprehended by him more through instinct than reason, and was clever at gathering trophies for my sick, as General Butler was for other purposes. Still, my office did not rise above that of chief cook, for I dared not leave the kitchen unattended, till Dr. M., passing the window one day, and seeing me seated on a low bench peeling potatoes, appeared much surprised, and inquired where my cooks were. Explanations followed, a copy of hospital rules were produced, and instructions found to supply the matron's kitchen with necessary attendance. A gentle, sweet-tempered lady, extremely neat and efficient, was appointed as assistant matron, as well as two cooks, and an experienced baker. Jim and his companion were degraded into hewers of wood and drawers of water. That is to say, these were to have been their duties, but their occupation became that of walking gentlemen. With their outdoor work their allegiance ceased, and the trophies, which formerly swelled my list of dainties, were afterwards nightly carried off down the hill then began the proper routine of hospital life breakfast at seven in summer and eight in winter coffee tea milk breads of two or three kinds and butter towards the end of the war we were not able to be so luxurious and also whatever could be saved from the dinner of the day before the relishes would be impartially divided among the fifteen wards so that each could furnish from five to ten sick men with some delicacy the ward masters attended by their nurses gathered three times a day around the little office window adjoining the kitchen with their large wooden trays and supplies of plates waiting to receive the food each being helped in turn to a fair division if an invalid craved any particular dish, the nurse mentioned the want, and if not contrary to the surgeon's orders, it or its nearest approximation was given to him. After breakfast the assistant surgeons visited their wards, making out diet lists for each, or rather filling them up, for the form had already been printed, and only the invalid's name, number of his bed, and diet, light, half or full were required to be specified also the quantity of whiskey desired for each dinner and supper were served in a similar way at one o'clock the nurses came for the dinner of the very sick denominated the light diet supposed to mean tea and toast beef soup eggs etc as well as nutriment concocted from those tasteless and starchy compounds of wheat and corn which are so thick and heavy to swallow and so little nutritious they were served hot from the fire or congealed from the ice 
for after the deprivation of ice during the first summer of the war had been felt each hospital was provided by the next season with a full ice house by two o'clock the regular dinner of poultry beef ham fish vegetables and salads was distributed supper like breakfast at five the chief matron sat at her table with the diet lists arranged before her each day so that no particular ward should invariably be first served and then read out to her assistant the necessary directions of the surgeons making sometimes it is true very imprudent observations not always complimentary towards the assistant surgeons the orders ran somewhat in this fashion chicken soup for five beef tea for eight tea and toast for one a certain mr jones had expressed his abhorrence of that diet so i asked the nurse why it was ordered he did not know jones said he would not touch such food he never ate slops and therefore had been without nourishment for nearly two days what does he wish the doctor says tea and toast did you tell the doctor that he would not eat it i told the doctor and he told the doctor perhaps he did not hear or understand you yes he did but he only said he wanted that man particularly to have tea and toast though i told him jones threw it up regularly but he put it down again and said jones was out of his head and jones says the doctor's a fool my remark on this was that jones could not be very much out of his head an observation that entailed consequences afterwards that habit so common among the surgeons of insisting upon particular kinds of diet to be given irrespective of the patient's tastes was a peculiar grievance which no complaint for four years ever remedied by three all the food had been distributed the nurses returning for a larger supply if necessary or for some dish the patient had craved although visiting my wards in the morning for the purpose of speaking words of comfort to the sick and remedying any apparent evils which had been overlooked or forgotten by the surgeons in their rounds the fear that the nourishment furnished had not suited the taste of men debilitated to an extreme not only by disease or wounds but also by the privations and exposure of camp life would again take me there during the afternoon then would come heart sickness and discouragement four out of twenty invalids six on an average would not allow that they had taken any nourishment whatever this was partly habit and imitation of others and partly the human desire to enlist sympathy the common soldier has a horror of a hospital and with the rejection of food comes the hope that weakness will increase and a furlough become necessary besides this the human palate requires education as well as any other organ who knows a good painting till the eye is trained or fine harmony till the ear is taught and why should not the same rule apply to tongue 
and taste men who never in their lives before had been sick or swallowed those starchy flavorless compounds young surgeons are so fond of prescribing repudiate them invariably besides being suspicious of the terra incognita from which they spring and suspicion always engenders disgust daily inspection convinced me that greater evils yet existed the barrel of whiskey was still kept at the dispensary under the charge of the apothecary and his clerks or rather assistants and pints or quarts were issued according to the orders of attending surgeons there were many suspicious circumstances connected with this institution for the monthly barrel of whiskey is an institution and a very important one in a hospital if it is necessary to have a hero for this bare narrative of facts the whiskey barrel will have to advance and make his bow a further reference to the bill passed by congress proved that liquors as well as luxuries belonged to the matron's department and in an evil moment such an impulse as tempted pandora to open the fatal casket assailed me and i dispatched the bill with a formal requisition for the barrel an answer came in the form of the head surgeon he courteously told me that i would find the charge very onerous that whiskey was required at all hours sometimes in the middle of the night and he would not like me to be disturbed it was constantly needed for medicinal purposes he was responsible for its proper application but i was not convinced and withstood all argument dr a was proverbially sober himself but there were reasons why both commissioned as well as non-commissioned officers opposed so violently the removal of the liquors to my quarters however the printed law was at hand for reference it was like nailing my colors to the mast and that evening all the liquor was locked up in my own pantry and the key in my own pocket the first restraints of a woman's presence had now worn away and the thousand petty miseries of my position began to make themselves felt the young surgeons not all gentlemen though their profession should have made them aspirants to the name and the nurses played into each other's hands if the former were off on a frolic the latter would conceal the absence of the necessary attendance by erasing the date of the diet list of the day before substituting the proper one duplicating the prescription also thus preventing inquiry in like manner the assistant surgeons to whom the nurses are alone responsible would give leave of absence and conceal the fact from the surgeon in charge which could easily be effected the patients would suffer and complaints from the matron be not only obnoxious and troublesome but entirely out of her line of business she was to be cook and housekeeper nothing more
added to other difficulties was the dragon ship of the hesperides the guarding of the golden fruit to which access had been opened to a certain extent before her arrival and for many many months the petty persecution exercised and endured from all the small fry around almost exceeded human patience what the surgeon in charge could do he did but with the weight of a hospital on his mind and very little authority delegated to him he could hardly reform or punish silly annoyances so small in the abstract so great in the aggregate the eventful evening that mr jones revolted against tea and toast my unfortunate remark intended for one ear alone but caught by the nurse to the effect that the patient could not be confused in his intellects if he said the surgeon was a fool brought forth a recriminating note to me it was from that maligned and incensed gentleman and proved the progenitor to a long series of communications of the same character a family likeness pervading them all commencing with quotes, the chief matron and doctor continuing with quotes, mrs and i and ending with you and him they were difficult to understand and more difficult to submit to accustomed to be treated with extreme deference and courtesy by the highest officials connected with the departments moving in the same social grade i always occupied when beyond the hospital bounds the change was appalling the inundation of notes that followed for many months could not have been sent back unopened the last refuge under such circumstances for some of them might have related to the well-being of the sick my pen was ready enough but could i waste my thunder in such an atmosphere end of section one